You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Billy Siebel, who is the executive director at XGC Foundation. XGC is a layer one hybrid blockchain with a greater focus towards trade finance. With that, Billy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, welcome, Billy. Thank you. So, to start off, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, we know that you've had many years of expertise in manufacturing prior to moving to XTC. So could you tell our audience a little bit about your journey? What made you transition to blockchain and crypto and uh, how it's been so far? Sure. So I started in manufacturing back in the early 90s, really, and spent a lot of time in terms of uh, growing businesses within that particular industry. Uh, when I uh, probably had total been in manufacturing over a period of uh, about 20 years of the last 30 or so. And, uh, you know, from from that, I had done various other uh, projects. But uh, I, I really was into technology along the way, very process-focused on what uh, a lot of the work I had done. And so when I had discovered blockchain... I was really fascinated by what blockchain had to offer. Uh, specifically, when I kind of landed where I am now in the XTC network, uh, there was a, a strong focus on trade finance, invoice factoring, and, and really tools that, uh, financial tools that help SMEs to uh, operate. And I thought, oh, this would be great if I had this when I was in manufacturing. So I, I ended up really kind of diving in, and, and that's kind of how I ended up settling in on why I thought uh, XTC was a, a great place to be. And uh, that was really uh, initially as a community member, uh, somebody who would come in and really just wanted to learn more and, and be involved in the community and eventually kind of led into me joining Zinfin Fintech as head of ecosystem development and really just kind of from there uh, launching the XTC Foundation and really helping to support the development of the network from that time forward. Great. Thanks for sharing your story with us. I know you touched on the, the trade finance focus of XTC. So I just want to quickly ask you, uh, I did read that uh, XTC is the first blockchain to join the global TFD initiative. TFD, of course, stands for Trade Finance Distribution. So uh, before we, uh, I mean, we deep dive into what XTC protocol is and how it works. Could you quickly explain for our audience what is the TFD initiative and, you know, the role that XTC would play in it? Sure. Uh, so, I mean, TFD is a group of enterprises that have come together within the trade finance industry. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, the focus really has been more or less building an ecosystem of these enterprises that can come to the table and participate in the development of trade finance on chain. And some of that involves, a, you know, the technology stack, which we're part of. Uh, a lot of it is banks and non-bank uh, originators, uh, you know, other service providers. And ultimately, you know, it's kind of through this particular uh, ecosystem that we've really started to develop a lot of focus around what we're doing in trade finance. And so, uh, you know, the XCC network is the only blockchain network as part of the TFD. And uh, we work very closely with uh, Trade Tech uh, as a part of this whole piece of, of really bringing trade finance solutions to the marketplace. You know, that we, we're supplying the tech and Trade Tech is out there really kind of providing, you know, their expertise and service in the financial industry sector. Got it. 
So as a use case, uh, do you think like tokenization of assets would be the primary play, you know, in, in that sort of a, a use case? Yeah, I, I mean, it's really uh, so useful in this particular space because, you know, you have a, a lot of forms in which you could actually have value or assets, whether it's a bill of lading or uh, an invoice, for instance. But, you know, there's always products behind it somewhere along the way when it comes to trade finance. It's really about the the movement of goods and services across the globe. And you have businesses across the globe that are trying to do business with each other, but you're working with very different banking systems and uh, it's cumbersome. I mean, if you've ever done anything around trying to buy product and move product across the globe, uh, there's uh, not just from the, the financial side, but, you know, logistically speaking, you know, certificates of origin, uh, you know, all sorts of different types of documentation that need to be managed. And so, you know, today with blockchain, you're able to do a lot more, much, much quicker and kind of disrupt the old model. And for trade finance and really what trade tech is doing, I mean, doing it in the area of value, you know, where money is moved is really, I think, the the biggest inroad to where tokenization can be of great value. And that way, uh, you can transfer value very easily, very quickly. Uh, you have uh, traceability of, of who owns that asset. And uh, ultimately, I think this is really kind of moving towards a uh, like a, a tokenization as a service. And in the case of trade tech, you know, they've offered security tokens that are initially what we had done back from uh, September of 2021, where, you know, we did a really a, an NFT transaction that uh, grouped a series of invoices together for multiple manufacturers and financed that on-chain. And now we've been working with Trade Tech and really moving that along to a stage where that can be in a repeatable form and in a regulated form across the globe. Uh, could, could you uh, talk about... So, so what is the problem in trade finance that... Uh, doing blockchain solves, or is is it is it a uh, is it a matter of knowing who owns what asset? Wouldn't uh, I mean? Wouldn't that already be the case uh, when the whoever's uh, holding the asset owns the asset? No, uh, what what does a blockchain bring into that equation? Sure. Well, I think there's a uh, a number of different things that you can look at. I mean, tokenization as itself is uh, an opportunity to take you know something that's whole and fractionalize ownership very easily and clearly and, and have it be immutable on the blockchain. And you could do that obviously with one as well. It doesn't have to be fractionalized, but it allows you to take a lot of data, put it into the record and you know know that the record never changes. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, is really important around Anything you do on blockchain at a core is its immutability, you know, the ability for traceability in the record and uh, to know, you know, and so I always think it's kind of a funny word that it's a trustless system, but it's actually you can trust trustless system, which basically means that, you know, you're not trusting a single entity uh, to hold the data, uh, own that data, and, you know, if they want to potentially manipulate that data. So... Yeah, but but uh, I mean, isn't trust kind of I mean, like yeah, I mean, you are do we have been doing manufacturing and trade finance, you know, that's been for for a, a long time. That's kind of like the basis of business, right? Uh, any any supply chain uh, flow uh, includes multiple parties, and each party has to trust the other. What does the trustless part bring to the flow? Well, I I think. On one hand, I, it's just kind of immutability is a, you know, kind of like a base feature in my mind of what yeah, blockchain sure. has to offer, right? Uh, I think in certain situations, if you're looking at, and it may not be specific to trade itself, but obviously there's a lot of things that this comes into play with that you could talk about uh, how deeds are passed down to, yeah. to real estate, right? And, and knowing right. that you know, uh, records are original and accurate 
there aren't any forgeries or duplicates, yeah, things like that. Provenance right? of, yes. uh, of reality, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's definitely just a characteristic of what blockchain has to offer. I mean, I think as far as trade and the trade finance gap or, you know, why blockchain, uh, you know, one of the things being, and I, I think that uh, you could look at it from like a local product that you might have um, mm-hmm. from from where you are, like um, – what, what would be something that would be a local product people produce, you know, uh, well, I mean, nearby? I, I'm currently in Germany, so a local product would be, say, like a a part of a car or maybe some kind of high-tech engineering part. Or <laughs> Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I guess like, let's just take like a component for a vehicle and say yeah, okay. you're a component so manufacturer. Engine block right? of a BMW or something. Sure, sure. And so, you know, if that's being produced somewhere across the globe the manufacturer has to finance what it is that they're trying to 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 make mm-hmm. and uh, this all kind of speaks to the cash flow of the business right and so you know traditional business operates from a uh you know accounts receivable and banking relationship yes. right so it's going to be amount of time for you to get paid and you're going to have to wait that time and also you're going to have to find banks within, you know, your region where you can go to and say, well, I have this uh, product I'm making. I need to be able to have right. cash so for it. So convincing a bank that's saying that, okay, I have this contract with me. You could, you could uh, falsify the contract. So the ba- convincing the bank that you are, what you have is like a real contract from BMW to build this. Engine. Well, that could be, yeah, that could certainly be on that side of the immutability piece, right? So you can show authenticity of it, right? Uh, but as far as the, uh, you know, transferring the, the uh, value of it all, where you're looking at how do I uh, take this product that I've made or I'm trying to make and then sell it to somebody halfway across the globe, you have to kind of verify who you're selling it to. You got to mm-hmm. know the banking relationship that's there. You have to figure out how you're going to get paid. Uh, mm-hmm. And these things typically take a significant amount of time, you know, within the right. cycle. So, you know, I mean, just in general, invoice factoring allows businesses to take invoices as an asset because it's backed by, you know, hard good that you're building and get a certain percentage of that finance through through a bank. And uh, doing it on blockchain allows you to essentially have that transaction be near instantaneous, you know, where... Uh, at the time in which you know you're able to supply documents to everybody who's in that you know chain that's going to be involved with the transaction, and you're able to uh, not only see everything digitally, but then you're able to execute it on a smart contract, where within uh, you know a matter of seconds, you know it's not only is the the funding transferred and it kind of inverts the relationship as well right because you could now when I mean, you don't have to have a relationship with the bank you could go to any of the banks that are in the blockchain who can see that provenance and uh, basically say okay you know you could uh, you don't have to be like a customer of that bank or have a pre a create a account in that bank you can basically say yeah you know here's my proof and uh, and and any bank on that can that can verify that will be able to give you the money or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. I I think you know when I when you consider, uh, I think you know banking is a, is relatively unequal across the globe. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in in the U.S., you know you have uh, certain areas that banking is not a problem. Uh, you know, there's plenty of banks and other uh, more impoverished areas that, you know, banking is uh, very difficult to get. Uh, and, you know, then you, you have that across the globe. So, I mean, it could be anything that's being produced anywhere in the globe. Somebody who may not be in an area where there is a lot of access to, to capital. Now, blockchain allows them to have the, anybody that's participating on that level to be able to, you know, be available to them. And so... That's part of the TFD when you look at it, you know, being able to have uh, originators and non-bank originators coming together, uh, you know, you're able to, you know, then have the funding available. Uh, and, you know, we're really just trying to be part of the uh, technology piece that, you know, brings all of the kind of bridges, I guess, really, what happens traditionally, 
right, with what you can do on chain. And that's kind of how we always looked at it is, you know, we're, our job is to really kind of bring blockchain to others. You know, we don't expect anybody to come necessarily just to blockchain. Right. Now, just to kind of quickly also uh, close that circle over there. So we talked about, uh, you know, inverting the relationship and making it, uh, making banking available to all the participants without necessarily having to have a relationship with the bank. But what's in it for the banks? Why would the banks actually want to participate in this? Uh, so what's what's the what's the upside for them? Well, I guess it's maybe individual to different banks, but um, obviously this is a disruption in the banking model. And I think it's one of the things that you see just in general, uh, there's, you know, can be a, a lot of pushback from traditional banking in that, right. you know, their models being disrupted and maybe, you know, how they make their money. Exactly. So I think, you know, this is like as with anything else, right? When, you know, industries shift and change and, you know, new and better services come about, it's, you know, harder to compete against like uh, faster and more cost effective. So I think it really is a matter of, uh, you know, what is the, the, the model that uh, a bank wants to have in their own success? And, you know, if they're going to be a part of this, then, you know, they want to really come in and look at how they can be a part of the solution. I mean, there is still the lending of, of money. And so there's, mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's just a matter of, uh, fees and, and other margins that may not be the same because you're not charging that. But also, uh, on the other hand, you're making it far more efficient and you're able to eliminate manual backroom operations that not right. only cause, you know, hold up, but errors. And so, you know, there's definitely efficiencies that can be picked up in that. Mm -hmm. And I think with anything, I, it's really, to me, I kind of look at it from a manufacturing perspective. It's nothing ultimately more than a straight up productivity play, which is, right. you know, when businesses grow and are more productive, economies grow and you are more profitable as a business. And so it's just another way of finding more productivity and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe services that you charge are, are, are less, but the ability to do more with the technology allows you to, you know, just kind of shift a more productive business model moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and just to kind of add to what Billy just explained, you know, the productivity improvement, right? I read somewhere also that the XDC protocol is actually compliant with what is known as ISO 20022 messaging standards, mm -hmm. which basically means it can be integrated into legacy banking systems. So I guess, you know, that that is a major advantage uh, for integration with banks going forward. But since since we uh, did talk about XDC being an enabler with the technology piece, right? I just want to go a little bit into what XDC is as a protocol. From what we understand, unlike most of the blockchains, uh, XDC is a hybrid blockchain, uh, not a public one. So from a top level perspective, Billy, you mentioned about, you know, the generation of smart contracts, right? So what... I could gather is that the smart contracts that would be created uh, on XTC would be on a permission system, but the transactions would be verifiable on a public ledger. So could you explain a little bit more for our audience, you know, what this means and you know how this kind of structure supports the business use cases that you're looking for, like ERP, banking, and other applications? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think as a, as um, blockchain has developed, a lot of these technologies have kind of sorted themselves through in terms of, you know, how to really keep a balance of private and public uh, transactions on a network. And, you know, one of the things from the very beginning, you know, we're an enterprise-focused blockchain that uh, was something that was really kind of the idea from the beginning when uh, ultimately the network was forced, first, like, really drafted, I guess you could say. So the idea was, you know, what uh, what could be done where, you know, you're not just operating in the public sphere on a public blockchain, and how would you be able to enable businesses to come on chain or onto a network and, and operate privately in areas where they need to from, 
you know, the perspective of competition and, you know, just, you know, no business just operates openly with all of the transactions that they're doing in any uh, environment. So we don't expect that to happen in uh, blockchain. So, you know, a lot of that has kind of transitioned into more, you know, like uh, private subnets that are being launched on chain where, you know, essentially, you know, businesses are able to come in and set up uh, their own uh, private subnet where they can operate what they need to privately. And, you know, when they're transacting, uh, that would happen on the public ledger. So you would see that, you know, on the uh, public ledger of the XCC network. And so uh, that's really kind of the, I guess, the reasoning behind it and kind of the direction that all of this is really kind of going between like what's private and what's public. So so when you say you can see the transaction, you can just, so how much of the transaction can you see? Can you see just evidence that, okay, a transaction happened between parties or that a transaction happened? Can you kind of elaborate? So I kind of, when I imagine this, I'm thinking, okay, so in this private subnet, there would be, you know, all the messaging, all the messages and the terms and the conditions and all of these things would be exchanged in the private sub- subnet between the two parties. And then finally, when they settle uh, and say, okay, we've got a deal and uh, it's it's only that particular part of it, the agreement or the actual transfer of assets or goods or whatever it is, it's only that particular thing that is put into the public uh, domain. Is I am I am I right or is that yeah? I think you. It's all really about a maybe a traditional hash. Yeah. With uh, the time, date, stamp, amount, and you know wallets, or you might see a, a smart contract. Right. But I think that you know a lot of as I've seen at least develop in the space. A lot of the stuff I've seen is, you know, you have a lot of uh, smart contract solutions that come on chain or the ability to use a smart contract to connect different uh, services and chains where something may be transacted on the other chain, but, you know, you can actually see that transaction with that hash on the public chain. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we see more and more. It's not, you know, I think in a lot of ways, when you think about like a private subnet, it's it's really kind of in a way to me, any type of, uh, you know, network that allows somebody that can be configurable, you know, unique to a particular business. So whatever it is that they want to do, uh, they can kind of spin that subnet up to whatever you know is necessary for them, and so it's it's very I think fluid from like one company to enough to the next you know like what they may be doing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know the idea is that it, it gives them a place to be able to operate and you know connect what they're doing from a, a, a traditional world. Uh, into the blockchain and uh, and do it in a way where again it's it's immutable. Um, you know you can see what transpa- you know transacts on the public network, but you, there aren't any details that are right. Um, you know going to be private that that shouldn't be public. Uh, so uh, these public transactions, right? Uh, are who who maintains? Are they maintained across the entire XTC network or? Is there any incentives to maintain it? How how does the public ne- network exist if everybody is kind of creating these private subnets to work off on their own? Well, I I think there's um, you know you got to look at it from we're an open network, so right. anybody is free and able to come and operate on our network. And what we do find is that there are people that look at what kinds of uh, qualities we're bringing to blockchain and i think it goes uh, in a lot of different ways you you know when you when you talk about you know why somebody chooses a particular network but as far as when we're looking at what we're doing uh you know we there was an original protocol team that that essentially started to build out uh, the network itself 
And, you know, over time, you know, that, that has grown, uh, you know, this okay. is kind of part of how, you know, you kind of go from, you know, some people with an idea to, you know, how do you start to drive community involvement? And so, you know, there's ways to incentivize people uh, through bounty to either, you know, look at what may be in GitHub in a particular, um, in, in relation to some aspect of the chain or the network and to say, you know, we're looking to expand by adding certain capabilities. We want SDKs for a particular, I don't know, maybe it's for, right. um, you know, uh, Go or something, you know. And so you're yeah. you're looking to try to kind of build these pieces a little bit at a time, right? Like one, it's like one building block at a time. Eventually, you know, you get to a point where you have a, a kind of a global decentralized team of people that are contributing to the network for various reasons. And some of them are because they feel like they can add value to it. And maybe it's something that they get back because they they just are a developer and they want to contribute to it. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why people will do this. I mean, they, they may have financial incentive to do it uh, on their own or, you know, by other, uh, by bounties, sure, things like that. So, so there's, it's interesting because it's, I think what you're asking is like a whole conversation as to how do you start something and then move into the, the realm of decentralization. It is the typical chicken, the chicken and the egg. Yeah, so it is right. Uh, so as I understood it, basically, uh, you've got an open network. People can come and join, and then go off and create the subnets. But this open network continues and and maintains the the uh, kind of lot like an audit log or a public record of whatever transactions that happened. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like basically, you 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 can access the blockchain. There's GitHub repositories where people can go in and, you know, you can, we're a, a fork of GoEth. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of, you know, Solidity developers who are out there who, you know, want to come to the network and, and build things. I mean, there are things that are being built. People just do it. We don't even know that they're doing it. Uh, and then all of a sudden I, I might see something else say, hey, do you know about this? And they'll be like, I don't know about this. Do you know about that? You know, we've never heard of it, but we saw it. You know, you can see on an explorer that you know there's a smart contract that was created and you know there's a project going and so it's um it's really uh it's a fascinating world to be honest i mean i it's just i'd never from coming from a private business for so many years uh to see the development of a public network where uh you know people come together in, in a way for the sake of coming together uh, it's it's really fascinating to be a part of it. It's it's incredibly rewarding too. So yeah, thanks for that clarification, Billy. Yeah, before we transition, I just wanted to quickly make a point. And since Billy is from a you know manufacturing and supply chain background, I just thought I'll mention this to speak to the importance of the the private subnets, right? You know, this this is a podcast that we've been doing for a little more than four and a half years. And uh, about three years back, um, Nikhil and I, we had done an episode on uh, blockchain and its application in logistics and supply chain. You know, there were these bunch of consortiums or alliances, you know, that, that were coming forward. Uh, like there was the Blockchain Trucking Alliance and uh, multiple others. Yep. So one of the things that kind of always stuck out, you know, as, as a sore thumb was basically, you know, if, if it's a, a set of companies in an industry, you have their competitors in a consortium putting their data on a public blockchain, wouldn't they uh, have, uh, you know, an apprehension with regard to their competitors seeing who the supplier is or who they're doing business with, the size of the order that they're placing? I mean, this, as well as some of the other factors, kind of contributed to such alliances kind of not going anywhere, to to just put it plainly. (laughs) So uh, I think uh, having those private subnets has a value, is, is the point that I was trying to make. In the past, you know, when people have uh, designed systems where everything goes on the public blockchain, it has not really interested the enterprises. Uh, yeah, no, actually, uh, I just wanted to quickly also ask, uh, so you mentioned that, you know, uh, there are people coming and building things, kind of like integrating with XTC in various ways. But we also have, you also have done integrations, uh, explicit integrations with like R3 Corda. So I just wanted to kind of... Uh, get your perspective on that uh, was that kind of a strategic thing or what's xtc's philosophy in terms of 
interoperability with other blockchains, uh, especially in the enterprise? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, so there are a couple things to that that is uh, really, I, I think, historically probably of note. Uh, and it kind of speaks a little bit to uh, nothing ever really happens the way you necessarily plan it to. Right? It's kind of like I, I, I want to launch a business, I write a business plan. And uh, once uh, I start, the, uh, as soon as the ink is dry, the business plan is already outdated. Because there's going to be a set of circumstances that happen around you and you're going to adjust as you go. So, uh, so you know, as a basis for who we have always been, uh, we have always said that we don't have competitors. We have, uh, you know, we, we, we're interoperable. We believe in interoperability. And actually, Christian, I think it actually kind of speaks a little bit to your last example. Uh, and I could say, you know, my, my commentary on uh, what happens a lot in businesses is that, you know, businesses actually fail oftentimes uh, because uh, they don't actually trust uh, people that they really should be trusting. And, you know, they create systems or proprietary information that uh, actually stunts their ability to operate within the market. And we've seen this over and over again with uh, many different uh, companies that created proprietary products and uh, really kind of forced that to their customers. Uh, and you could look at it, you know, uh, from, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but a uh, digital equipment company, you know, they, they could have mm -hmm. been, they could have been Microsoft uh, for hardware and software, uh, but they were proprietary about their alpha chip and what they were doing. Uh, whereas, you know, Microsoft came out uh, and had an operating system that they just put onto systems uh, all over. And so, you know, the, uh, you know, anybody who was building a PC took uh, Windows and put Windows on it. But you couldn't do that with the uh, digital's uh, operating system, which was probably at that time superior. Uh, and, you know, you, most people are probably like, who's digital? <laughs> As I'm telling the story, but they had 150,000 maybe people across the globe at one time. So uh, they were a behemoth in the computing industry. So I think that there's a lot of ways in which you can look back historically and, and see uh, how those things don't help themselves. So uh, I don't know the specifics as to why, you know, some of those uh, consortium fail, but um, I, I do think that you have to kind of find ways to work with people. And so that kind of leads to how we ended up um, getting, we, you know, we were connected with, uh, with uh, R3. R3 Corda. Yeah, just from somebody many years ago who, who uh, knew somebody at R3 and we were presenting in an event. Uh, and, you know, this was probably like, I don't know, 2019. I don't know, 2008, 2019. And it just so happened that, you know, there was uh, conversations kind of strung up. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, that what people thought R3 was going to be at that point and, you know, what R3 is today, you know, maybe two different things to some, maybe similar to others. But really, I mean, R3 was really building an, an open network uh, for of Corda. And it wasn't really about partnering with R3. It was really about, you know, what could you do on uh, Corda that uh, allows you to operate and integrate or interoperate with them. And so there actually was um, some years back, somebody who had come out with uh, a banking, uh, they were out of banking and they had this particular banking token that they were creating and they called it uh, the same name, the XDC. And we were, and there was an article that was written and it was like published in like, I don't know, like Cointelegraph, Coindesk or, or something. And mm -hmm. it was this big deal and everybody thought it was us. And we were like, no, 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 this is not us. And so we actually approached them, uh, about, uh, saying, Hey, you know, you can't, you can't be XDC because we already XDC. And, uh, so, uh, it ended up where, uh, that, conversation turned into a, hey, you know, um, why don't we do something together? And so that actually was the 
kind of like the kernel of ultimately how everything transferred from where we were then to integrating onto Corda, where XTC uh, actually can be settled on Corda, to even what we're doing today with, you know, what, what, not us, but, you know, how Impel has started uh, as an example and into the ISO piece. Uh, and so, you know, you just never know when, you know, you come across people in this right. industry, you know, what they're doing and, and, um, how it may impact you. And so, you know, from that, uh, it, it led to a whole direction of things that are happening today that may never have happened, you know, had we not done that. And, and a lot of that came out of like a very vocal community. You know, people were like, Hey, you know, you can't be that. We are that. And, uh, and then, you know, you kind of find friends maybe in the unlikeliest of places. And so, um, it's, so yeah, there's a lot more than meets the eye to, you know, what's going on. Uh, and also, you know, there's a, there's a lot of roads that just wind back and forth, you know, over time, you know, that, that gets you to where you are. So it's, it's a really kind of a, a fascinating development when you start to see that happening. But that's ultimately how we ended up on, on Corda. Right. That's great. Just to continue that uh, interoperability uh, conversation, uh, I think one of the big things that uh, XCC is uh, working, uh, doing, uh, is, done in, is done is basically integrating or interoperating with the Ethereum virtual machine and the EVM, and uh, there's an upgrade to uh, proof of stake uh, as well, right? So maybe can you comment a little bit on uh, how that's going and uh, what's the plan there? Sure. Well, you know, um, I think I mentioned, you know, we are a fork of GoEth. And so this is something that we ended up, uh, I mean, from the very beginning, looking at uh, for various reasons to, to kind of go in this direction. And, you know, uh, ultimately, uh, the compatibility of, of EVM, and when you start to look at, you know, the amount of networks out there that are EVM compatible, uh, you know, it's in itself, uh, kind of a, its own ecosystem in ways where any developer who's developing in one can, uh, create something that can actually operate in all. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's like the greatest thing about interoperability, right? It's not, you know, there may be reasons why somebody might want to do something on Ethereum. There may be reasons why somebody might want to do something on the XTC network. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's, we went through this period of time where people would be talking about, oh, this chain here is going to be the next Ethereum killer, or that's going to be Ethereum killer. I mean, I don't think Ethereum, you know, the only one that can kill Ethereum is Ethereum, and there is no uh, quote-unquote Ethereum. It's a large group of people all over the world who are building and doing and developing. And so it's, it's really, um, you know, created this uh, amazing ecosystem to operate from. And so I, I think... EVM compatible chains uh, offer unique qualities. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of the people that you're working with and the, the type of environment that they've created in order to operate in. Some are more focused on particular things like us with trade finance. Others may be focused more on NFT marketplaces and you know uh, retail applications. Yeah, you you can't see it, but I was nodding very vigorously. I felt it. I felt it through the mic. Yeah, no. <laughs> the the, the uh, Ethereum is kind of like now. Uh, it's 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 almost like you don't even actually consider it kind of like its own blockchain. It's almost become its underlying standard. It's almost like a lingua franca, as they say, right? So it's it's kind of like you know when you say, okay, we're going to write software in Java. Uh, or if you want to write, uh, it, it, what is the most popular uh, language in the world to write software in? It's Python. And uh, you'll find a ton of Python developers and uh, trying to uh, say that, okay, Python's going away is not, I mean, it's not realistic, right? So right. it's it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, okay, it's its own set of, okay, people who know how to build uh, build stuff on on this particular uh, ecosystem that have uh, that you can kind of leverage, right? And you, you can't. I mean, if if you are nowadays serious about kind of building and you, uh, uh, I mean, building uh, interacting developers who are into blockchains and stuff, 
one of the first things that they're going to say is that, hey, do you know, uh, does your chain support the EVM? Because that's how I know. I mean, that's what I know, right? That's what I know to build on. So uh, EVM compatibility, along with all the other things about, you know, all these other uh, interoperability and other chains. We were just talking about, I think, uh, uh, we just released uh, yesterday one episode uh, on Horizon. And Horizon is basically also separate blockchain uh, but that's that's also kind of built an evm yep and i think we've been noticing it as a trend in the past few months as well pretty much everybody we've interviewed uh, has either got some project ongoing or has released some kind of compatibility uh, with the ethereum virtual machine yeah exactly i mean and i think that it, it's one of these things that has become necessary in order for uh, certain chains to operate because they're seeing what's going on in the EVM environments. And, and if they can't get people to build in their environments because they're building an EVM, then uh, it's going to impact their ability to, to grow and interoperate. So it's, it's a really fascinating thing I, you know, when you start to look at how all of these things kind of come about. And um, we, we don't really know what the future specifically looks like around blockchain. You know, we can see that there's a basis for a, a lot of different utility that can be built on top of chains. And, you know, it, it's to the benefit of businesses and, and, and all of that. But I, I think as far as EVM goes, you know, that whole environment is kind of unique to itself. And we are, uh, I mean, as a network, we, we, were major sponsors at ETH Dubai this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we uh, did uh, major sponsorship at Consensus, and we did uh, sponsored fifty thousand dollars in the hackathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've done uh, ETH Waterloo, ETH Toronto's coming up. We're a sponsor there. We're a sponsor uh, ETH NYC. You know, we're we're doing all of these events because you know we were in Tokyo, Paris, and you know somebody from the network was. When I say we, I'm just talking right. about just somebody from the community. Uh, I don't have anything to do with what happened in Spain or Paris. You know, we have developers or groups, uh, governance council and, and um, committee and group in Europe. And, you know, they've been putting uh, all sorts of stuff around hackathons and and done an amazing job with it. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's amazing to just see how that just starts propping up in all of these right. different places, but but we've made we've made a focus of doing that here in North America. Cool. So uh, with the uh, XTC strategy, you talked about you know this is uh, interoperability. You've talked about uh, you know getting developers on board and the EVM compatibility and all that. Uh, but we also, like I said earlier, we, the, it's, you're not the only uh, folks in town who are doing that. There, there are other chains doing that as well. So uh, from like a future perspective, right? So what, what do you think, what do you see as uh, the immediate uh, goals or immediate challenges uh, that XTC wants to address or needs to address? And, uh, you know, also talk about maybe a few, few years down the line. How do you see, you know, this pos- positioning of XTC in trade finance and this industry thing evolving? Are you bullish or are you bearish? Or, you know, how, how do you see this whole thing uh, playing out in your mind anyway? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Well, I, I think as far as, you know, what our focus is, re- really what we're really just trying to do is, and, and I, I kind of put it this way, is that we, from the very beginning, you know, we've, basically been probably the most organically grown chain that I know of. Um, It's just one of those things that we kind of took the road of trying to always put the right things in place before we could, you know, we never tried to put the cart before the horse, I guess is the best way to say it. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's been uh, just kind of like this kind of like very – how would I say it's not it's not the slow road, but it's essentially the the road of doing it the way it's going to work best with what's in front of you. And you know, in blockchain, what happens is is you know we went through a period of time, I'd say, and 
2021 into 2022, you know, kind of really before I'd say like the rails came off <laughs> the industry in a way with some of the things with um, Three Arrows Capital and all that and all of the things that transpired in 2022. You know, what was happening was people were just trying to build as fast as they possibly could. And you know, there was a kind of a dearth of developers and uh, inability to do a lot of things. And it wasn't just blockchain. There were Java. People just didn't have to do what they needed to do. So I think that, you know, what happened is, is that there were a lot of services that people came out with and said, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And everyone's trying to integrate them. And then you realize, yeah, well, you know, maybe those services, nothing's really going to happen with them. Um, you know, they're not really going to go anywhere. It's not really much of a service. There isn't really anything to offer. And so I think that, you know, you're starting to see a lot of those kind of like um, that early stage of stuff starting to go away. And I think people are much more focused on, so what is it that we need in place in order to really build an environment where people can do trade finance on chain? You know, so if there's uh, DeFi solutions you know, perhaps there are, um, you know, DEXs where people can ex exchange that they need to. You know, we're obviously, you know, highly focused on uh, regulations and what's going on in uh, traditional finance and, you know, how do we bridge that. So, uh, electronic documents, laws coming into um, play make a huge difference in terms of digitization. I mean, we're talking about having to deal with laws uh, that were, you know, you know centuries old. Literally. So, you know, there uh, is a lot of framework that needs to just kind of slowly be upgraded. And so, you know, our focus really has been to put uh, the pieces in place that we think are going to allow us to be able to, you know, move forward and support, uh, you know, the uh, entities that want to come on enterprises to, to effectuate the trade. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, that's been a, a big component of what we focus on. And in general, in a broader space, you, you know, I mentioned all these different uh, ETH events and hackathons we've been doing. Um, you know, we, we've sponsored um, a, a lot of different hackathons uh, over the last year with the intent of, you know, really building greater awareness for the XCC network uh, the tools that we have uh, to build with and, and, you know, how we work with people individually and different, you know, um, contributors across the network to really help make that happen. So, you know, you really start to see this whole kind of vibrancy building out. You know, we now have uh, really uh, for some time now, I can't, um, you know, the, you know, we had, there was a launching of uh, xdc.dev, which is uh, essentially mm -hmm. a, a developer's uh, forum for uh, or anybody in the community to come in and, and post and um, try to resolve issues. Um, you know, there's kind of like, um, you know, the uh, EIP process. There's uh, XDC community had created the, uh, you know, the Zinfin version of that the xip process and um so mm -hmm. you know we we've really tried to you know i think as a community uh, the growing one at a time brings quality people to the network and you know, you know they feel like they're a part of something bigger and then they say hey here's how i want to contribute and so we see that with different projects that have come to us saying we like what you're doing and we'd really like to, you know, build here. And it's like, okay, um, whatever we can do to help you do that, we're happy to do that. That's what we do at the foundation. We really try to support as many projects as we can to come on. And uh, it's just one of those things that uh, it's just been a pretty amazing ride to see all of the touch points that we've been able to have across the network with all of the other contributors and uh, and it's it's something where somebody may do some small part and somebody may do a larger part, but everybody's doing a part. And right. um, you know, so it's uh, it's and I'd say the most amazing thing has been how you build community out of that. You know, there's one way where community comes together, people come together, and it kind of brings on a certain identity, and and then from that, that identity kind of starts to build out. 
in a way that goes parallel to the types of things that are being developed on the network. Uh, then all right. of a sudden, all of these new people that come in bring, you know, their kind of like flavor of that identity to the network and you continue to grow and develop. So it's, it's really, um, you know, we, we, we say, you know, success depends on your network. It's not really about, uh, the technology. It's, uh, it's as much as, you know, who's on that network, how are they contributing and how do they work with each other for everyone Absolutely. to be able to move forward. And, and that's one of the unique things about blockchain, right? That's one of the fundamental parts of it is the software is only just part of it. It's a community that's equally essential in order for uh, something uh, in the space to succeed. So I, th I think that's a great uh uh, place to kind of uh, leave it. Uh, uh, so just wanted to uh, thank you, Billy, for uh, spending the time. I see it's we've been almost an hour now. And, uh, uh, you know, thank you for your insights. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's not often that we have uh, an in, uh, somebody who's a domain expert in, in, a, in a particular area uh, and uh, uh, I personally was quite excited and happy to uh, understand how uh, you know we could apply uh, this uh, technology onto uh, a particular business domain uh, because you know it's 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 okay to talk about all the cryptocurrency and the DeFi and all of that and but uh, it's it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting to me as a developer you know to uh, who, when I first read the blockchain white paper, the Bitcoin white paper, uh, I was uh, looking at it from a developer's eyes in terms of a business developer's eyes and saying, hey, okay, that's great for the currency thing, but this underlying DLT piece, this, this looks promising. Where can we uh, apply it? And right, so it, it is, uh, uh, it's so nice to see XDC is going down this path. Yeah. And I just quickly wanted to throw in my two cents as well and just want to echo what. Nikhil said, you know, it's the first time on the show we've taken a detailed look at, you know, a specific domain like trade finance uh, as a use case. And uh, yeah, I, I was personally fascinated to learn, you know, how XTC can play a role in it and, you know, what's in store for XTC going forward. So uh, before we end, Billy, I uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, I'll be posting uh, the website link with the show notes. If there's anything that you would like to tell the audience, any announcements or uh, where to get involved or anything like that, feel free to do so. Uh, now would be a good time. Sure. We have uh, xdc.org. Uh, there's um, ways of contacting us uh, if you're looking to uh, learn about things. But I'd say, you know, xdc.dev is a great place to go. There's, there's a lot of points or touch points in the community. If you're a developer, you want to learn more about what's going on, uh, you know, we're going to be, like I said, in Toronto and New York and you know we'll we'll continue uh, throughout the year uh, and into 2024 uh, to be at these events so you know we're always looking to meet up with developers or interested people in the space who are looking to do something together and so that's it's kind of an open invitation for people to you know reach out and see what we can do perfect once again that was Billy Sibyl from the XTC Foundation you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.